we have uh, been remodeling, if you will, Sunday nights for the past several weeks. We've termed this time of year uh, redeeming Sunday evenings. And uh, you guys were benefited with guest preachers while I was out. Uh, and then we've just been trying to fill space until focus groups start up again. Uh, next Sunday evening, Brother Scott is going to preach for us, and we look forward to that. Brother Scott is always a blessing and a tremendous help here to the church. Uh, the following Sunday evening, if I'm not mistaken, is the 31st. That's a fifth Sunday evening. And so we're going to have uh, one of those uh, in-house singings that we used to do back in, uh, you know, years ago. <laughs> five years ago or whenever it was, but uh, we've got several folks lined up to share musically that night, and uh, then we're going to end that evening with an ice cream social um, uh, fellowship time, and then the following Sunday, that's the first Sunday evening in August, we'll start up with focus groups again, and there will be three offerings uh, this time. Brother Scott will be leading one, uh, Dr. Deems will be leading one, and I will be leading one. Uh, Brother Scott knows what he's teaching. Um, I don't. Dr. Deems would like to know what he's teaching, but we haven't talked about it yet. So uh, we're working on it. We'll get those published and get them out to you pretty soon. Uh, Brother Scott, though, I'll go ahead and advertise his a little bit, uh, is specifically a men's discipleship class. And so uh, if, you, if you were in this class that we did, the last focus group on the, the disciple. I forget the title now, but the discipleship class that you did with me, that was a couples class or, or just anybody could be in there. If you were a guy and you completed that, uh, I would recommend going to Brother Scott's class and it's going to drill down a little bit into some of those modes of discipleship. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with journaling for those guys that are worried about that. Uh, but anyway, I think that'll be a good class, and uh, Brother Scott always does a tremendous job. He's got a good book to use, and uh, I have a couple of those books. If you want to be in that class and you want to borrow a book instead of purchase one, let me know, and I'll let you in on that. Um, and then, again, Dr. Deems and I will make decisions soon. He's waiting on me, and uh, we'll get it taken care of soon, and that'll start back up. Uh, tonight, I want to share with you a little bit out of Luke chapter 18. And uh, I'm not attempting to set the barn on fire tonight, uh, necessarily. Uh, this is a very familiar passage, I would imagine, for most of us. And uh, I just want to kind of uh, look through it a little bit together and maybe, uh, maybe a little personal challenge, uh, as if there's not been enough of those lately. Uh, but that's where the Lord is at in my heart. So uh, looking in Luke chapter 18... Uh, beginning our read in verse 18 and reading down through verse 23. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and honor thy father and thy mother. And he, the, the, the young ruler, said, all these 
have I kept from my youth up. And Jesus, when he heard these things, he said unto him, Yet thou lackest one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Uh, that's where I want to spend some time tonight. And uh, I want you to put these, these three words in your mind and think over them for the next few minutes while we look at this passage and as we pray. Just one thing. Just one thing. Just one thing. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to speak to you tonight. Father, we thank you for, again, for this evening and for the time we have to come together and study and consider uh, truths. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be committed to that tonight, that we would be committed to truth. And Father, that we would be open to uh, the Holy Spirit as He would illuminate for us this passage. And Father, I pray that uh, as we uh, consider these things tonight, Lord, that we would see ourselves in this passage. Maybe we would remember, Lord, what it was like for us. When we first came to you. Maybe, Lord, tonight we would, maybe we would realize that we have not come to you. Maybe, Lord, uh, we would see that one thing. Father, I pray for uh, that you would encourage us tonight, that you would strengthen and provide for us direction forward. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a common passage, very familiar. Uh, typically, it is subtitled in your scriptures, The Rich Young Ruler. Um, mostly, I'm going to go ahead and identify the uh, the elephant or the gorilla or whatever animal you want to identify in the room. Uh, most everybody uh, thinks this thing is all about money. Uh, they want to look at the money. They want to look at the fact that he was rich. And uh, there's some aspect to that, but it's not all of it. Um, well, who, who would in here tonight would say, spiritually speaking, that you have arrived you are precisely where you need to be. I don't believe many of us would uh, claim that. I believe most of us would say, uh, there is room in my life for spiritual improvement. Maybe, maybe uh, miles and miles, right? Um, most of us would admit to having a few shortcomings. Um, most of us would probably even say, you know, we know what our quote-unquote besetting sin is. And the book of Hebrews talks about that besetting sin, that thing that you need to lay aside. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves and if we've spent any time in, 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 uh, in spiritual ponderings, uh, we know 
a little bit about ourselves. We may not know our heart, but we know a little bit about ourselves. And typically speaking, uh, you're right. Your, your worst thought about yourself spiritually is typically pretty right on, right? Now, you may be wrong about the way you physically appear or the way you uh, are talented. You may be wrong about those things. There may be anxieties and personal deficits involved in those, those types of uh, 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 tests, if you will. But typically speaking, if you are in a meditative relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're spending time in the scriptures and in prayer, you have a pretty good idea about what you are spiritually. And there's some, in, there's some inherent knowledge there. I think sometimes we get carried away um, in our thinking about the cost of following Christ. What is it? What is it going to cost to follow Christ? What, what is it, uh, how is it going to impact my, my living day to day? What, what is going to change if I follow Christ? I, I believe, in fact, that many would even like to believe that they've given so much to follow Christ, that they've really, truly sacrifice things. And sometimes the, the people will acknowledge that for you. Career or possessions or relationships. And there's other things that are of such, such great importance to the flesh that sometimes we think we've given up all of this just to follow Christ. And at times I believe that there is some romanticism in that idea. We would like to romanticize exactly what our faith has cost us. And again, some honesty about the general economy in which we are being Christians would lead you to believe it hasn't cost us much, uh, not near as much, say, as in some other countries. So we, we see that, that picture of Cost And even in this passage, as I've already stated, we become fixated on the monetary aspect. Well, he's rich. And suddenly the requirement is abject poverty. And so that's a great cost in order to follow Christ. And the idea of the abundance and it having to be given away, such a substantial sacrifice that even the disciples in this passage, uh, you would notice in verses, uh, in verse 26, and they that heard it, the disciples said, who then can be saved? Even they were focused on the aspect of wealth and riches and the, the giving away of them. Uh, they're smitten with the weight of the truth that if he had to give so much, how could anyone be saved? And, and even the Lord says to them there, look, these things are they're, they're impossible with men. But with God, all things are possible. And, and so we, we sometimes become fixated on that. The idea of what do I have to give up? What's it going to cost me? And... 
Tonight, rather, I would like to draw your attention maybe to the rich young ruler, uh, this, uh, this man, the approach to Christ, the response from Christ, and maybe tonight we would recognize that Christ only requested one thing of the rich young ruler. That's all. It's just one thing. And I would be comfortable in saying to you tonight that Christ only wants one thing from you. There's just one thing. So notice first this demonstration of knowledge. Uh, let me say this real quick. Most commentaries would lead you to believe that this guy is hopeless. I don't particularly believe that. I believe that there was an opportunity here and there was a choice to be made and he chose incorrectly. I don't think it was hopeless. I think the fact that he came to the Lord was showing hope and that the Lord was there to respond uh, they, they would have you believe that he's hopeless, that he's not a sincere uh, seeker of God, that he's simply another challenge for the Lord to overcome. But there's some positive aspects in the rich young ruler uh, that I think we would like to see. And so consider this first. I want you to think about his demonstration of knowledge. Uh, there's a demonstration of knowledge in the way this individual approaches Christ and in the question that he asks. He, he says there, a uh, good master, uh, there in, in verse uh, 18, good master. There, there is uh, sufficient knowledge in that phrase alone. And the idea that he would say to Christ, good master, there is, there is the idea that he recognized some goodness in Christ, that he recognized that Christ was a teacher. Uh, it's not a whole lot different than the way Nicodemus approached the Lord. And Nicodemus would come away, I believe, with salvation. I think there's a similar opportunity here at, to, to see Christ and how that Christ is related to goodness and he is related to teaching. I believe that we could say this young man knew who God was uh, when we, we would say who Jehovah God was. I believe that he had an intellectual understanding of God something that allowed him to seek eternal life. There was in his mind the opportunity for eternal life. There was in his mind uh, the desire to have that rather than the alternative. There's, there's a demonstration here, uh, a demonstration of, of knowledge, some intellect. But unfortunately, and I would have, have you to hear this tonight, because the world in which we live would, would tell you otherwise, Christ is not looking for knowledge. Christ does not desire from you knowledge. He, Christ does not desire from you intellectual ability. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of folks that would lead you to believe otherwise, that, that you know, uh, in, the, in the Depression era they said, Cleanliness was next to godliness, but today they would say intellect. And uh, that's not true. Uh, he's not desiring knowledge, and, and, and we, we recognize that not only did he have an intellectual knowledge, but he also 
possessed a desire for understanding. He was willing to ask, which means he was willing to be examined and instructed. This young man, uh, had he approached any other person who carried the title teacher, rabbi, master, and asked this question, he would have asked it uh, in expectation of receiving an answer that would require something. So there is, there is a definite desire for understanding. That's what we notice in the remainder or the, the continuance of verse 18. What shall I do? Good master, it shows intellect. What shall I do? Shows us a desire for understanding. Can, can I tell you how important I believe uh, having a desire for understanding is? I wish, if I, if I could wish, and wish would do me any good, I wish that this altar were full every week of people with a desire for understanding. Uh, if, if we were to see a spiritual movement among the body that meets in this building of several weeks in a row where various uh, differing people would come to the altar sincerely seeking for understanding, there would soon ensue a revival of a spiritual proportion that would carry into the community. So this, I would not throw rocks at this guy. He had some intellectual understanding. He had or uh, some intellectual knowledge. He had a desire for understanding. Uh, when he says, uh, what shall I do? He's, he's wanting an answer. He's expecting an answer. And I would go so far as to say, and I don't want to be a spoiler, uh, I would go so far as to say if the Lord would have given him uh, a task, he would have went and done it. If the Lord would have said, I mean, there, you could just use your imagination, go climb Mount Kilimanjaro, we would have read a story about how he went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, that's just what he wanted to do. He wanted to do something. What can I do? Uh, and, and Lord, I'm looking for an answer. And, and wanting an answer, by the way, is a good thing. Thirsting for understanding, in fact, is a great thing. Desiring to learn more truth is a wonderful thing, but it's still not the one thing that the Lord is looking for. He'll honor it. He is looking for His children to be searchers, but He wants more. He wants us to learn and to grow and to understand and to seek knowledge, but there's more that He wants. It's just one thing. It's just one thing. The commentaries and the astute biblicists would bring to your attention right here that this uh, rich young ruler asked a legal question and therefore he receives a legal answer. When Christ said to him, uh, Thou knowest the commandments, he was not insinuating that someone could actually keep them. He received a legal question, he gave a legal answer. I wonder, I wonder if we could, I wonder if we could extrapolate that thought a little bit and 
Think about the, the way that we come to God and the things we come seeking. And I wonder sometimes, does he give us a certain thing because we ask for a certain thing rather than giving us what we need? What he knows we need. It's, a, it's an interesting quandary. Uh, it's something to ponder. We would also be wise to mention here that uh, you don't inherit eternal life. Uh, it is not something to be bequeathed. Uh, you do not inherit eternal life. You do not purchase eternal life. You do not gain eternal life through works of righteousness. Rather, eternal life is a gift. It is the free gift of God. It is a grace gift to all who believe. That's, that's only to those who believe. We would see uh, this gentleman's demonstration of knowledge. We would recognize his desire his desire for understanding. Notice in verse 21, uh, there is a development of personal righteousness that has taken place in, in this young man's life. By the way, I would not question, I would not question his statement uh, because we don't know him. We just comprehend that it requires more. He says there in verse 21, all of these have I kept from my youth up. These commandments, by the way, that the Lord had shared with him are those towards mankind. They are the love your neighbor as yourself commandments. They are the second tablet of the commandments. They are those things that people would see and report about you. They are your reputation. Someone cannot see and report about me with any extent of knowledge whether or not I love the Lord my God with all my heart and my soul and my mind. They can't see that. Only God can see that. In fact, the first, the first half of the Ten Commandments cannot be seen and reported. Not clearly. But that stuff towards mankind is pretty obvious. If you... Uh, <laughs> If you commit adultery, uh, somebody's going to know about it. If you commit murder, someone's going to know about it, right? If you commit character assassination, which the Lord would equate to murder, somebody's going to know about it. In fact, if you have, somebody does. <laughs> I would guard that. Uh, these things uh, people know, and, and so this is a... An area of personal righteousness, and, and he, he says to him, uh, I've done all of this. I've accomplished this all from my youth up. I've done these things. That's the problem is that he's done it. They're, they're, that's the problem in the question. What shall I do? What shall I do? All of these things I've kept from my youth up. And here we recognize pretty quickly that this young fellow is uh, depending upon his own righteousness for his ticket in. Uh, the book of Isaiah would say to us that our righteousness is as filthy rags unto God. Uh, we, 
there, there's no amount of personal righteousness that's going to ensure eternal life. There is only this one thing that's going to ensure eternal life. James, in the book of James, would, would say, uh, speaking from a purely Jewish perspective, which is healthy in this aspect, if you've broken one of the commandments, you're guilty of them all. They all are intertwined. They all hang on one another. You can't, be, you can't say, Lord, look, nine out of ten, man, I'm good. Because uh, that, that one would bring about failure. It's pretty obvious here that this young man has a God, and he has a view of God, but... The God is a God of works. The God is a God of accomplishments. The God is a God of morality rather than a God of righteousness. We would also be remiss here if we didn't mention that he's likely not fulfilling all of these commandments from his youth up. Again, uh, he knows he better than me, uh, but we understand that perfection is what it would require to please God in order to, for them to be fulfilled. It would be perfection, and I'm, I'm personally convinced that that is not humanly possible. Perfection is not humanly possible. I would say this much, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, Maybe somebody's coming, but I don't think so. Pretty sure that the Bible's clear about that. So we would say that try as we might, we're going to fail sooner or later. And then once again, we're without hope because we've placed all of our hope on the accomplishment of those works or the establishment of that morality that God sees as filthy rags. The, the Lord identifies his deficiency. He says in verse 22, Thou lackest one thing. Yet lackest thou one thing. One thing. Here's the one thing, by the way. It's not what you think, again. We, we would read this, and, and the disciples, in fact, they were there and they heard it. And their assumption is what most assumptions would be. Because the Lord said to him, you lack one thing, sell everything you have, give it all away, and come and follow me. He's trying to help him fulfill that, love your neighbor as yourself. The, the disciples would see the problem there as the wealth, the possessions, the the money, and that would be very confusing for them because in their culture, great wealth and great possessions signified great blessings from God. And can I tell you, it's not a lot different in the society we live in. It really is not. He would, his deficiency is not, by the way, his knowledge. It's, it's not his desire. It isn't in his development of personal righteousness. So what is the deficiency? What is the one thing that he's like lacking? We, we would look and the Lord doesn't say, no, you're not. You're, you're, he doesn't call him out on imperfection. He doesn't say, no, 
This one time you didn't fulfill that. He doesn't mention a failure in the areas upon which the young man is depending. He, he Rather, he widens the field and he exposes his covetousness. It's, the, it's that stuff. Well, what is, the, what is the problem with that stuff? Well, the problem with that stuff is that all of his faith is in that stuff. His faith, his ability to look forward with some sense of hope, his ability to look forward with some belief that everything will be okay tomorrow is in the fact that he has all of this stuff, this wealth. It's, it's not far different, by the way, than the, the rich man whose crops increased and he said, oh, to, to, tomorrow I'm going to tear down my barns and, and build bigger barns and fill them up and I'm going to uh, rest and say, well done, soul, rest and take it easy. I'm paraphrasing. And the Lord would say, you fool, tonight, tonight your soul will be required and then who will all this stuff belong to? Because it's not going with you. It doesn't afford you any eternity. It doesn't afford you any assurance. It's just stuff. And so we would recognize the, the covetousness of this man. And, and by the way, in recognizing that, we have to understand it's not the stuff. It's not the money. Christ says here in this next verse, it's hard for a wealthy man to enter into heaven. But it's not the money. It's the covetousness of the money. It is the faith placed in the money. It is the belief that the money will provide. It's, it's not the money. But Paul would say, uh, uh, or, or actually Christ would say earlier, that, that you can't serve God and mammon. But, but it's not the money. It's the attitude towards the money. Paul would say the, that the love of money is the root of all evil. We're getting closer. It's not the money, it's the love of it. That's the picture. The, the ruler, this rich young ruler, does not have a money problem. He has a faith problem. He's wrongly placed his faith in the money. He's wrongly placed his faith in the idea that he's a good person and that he's moral and that he's done right and that he's a nice guy. He's wrongly placed his faith in the fact that he is, he's wealthy and so God has blessed him and so God must love him. He's wrongly placed his faith in as long as I have this stuff, I will be fine. I can take care of things and continue to be. And in all of that situation, he has shifted his focus from the God whom he really needs to the money that is separating him from the God who he really needs. Because the faith needs to go from the money to Christ. I, I cannot... Prove uh, this. You probably couldn't disprove it either, though, so I'm pretty safe. My belief is if that young fellow would have said, done, the Lord would have said, not necessary. That would be my belief. 
Remember, remember the maniac of Gadara? And all he wanted to do was go with the Lord? What did the Lord tell him? Go home. Tell everybody what great thing has happened today. The Lord is not a tyrant to be served. I believe if this young fellow would have been able to say, that's fine. I don't trust that money. I'll give it all away. Lord, I just want you. I believe the Lord would have said, that's okay. You just keep your money. You'll be with me in paradise. That's, that's what I, I assume would have happened. But instead, he trusts himself and his riches more than he trusts Christ. Can, can I tell you that? <laughs> that's a 2022 problem. It's not a, it's not a first century problem. It's, it's a today problem. Christ desires that we place all of our faith and trust in Him. So, do, is knowledge a good thing? Well, sure it is. Do we need wisdom? Absolutely. Pray, I pray for it daily. I hope that you pray for me daily that God would give me wisdom. If not, do that, please. That's, I would appreciate it. Do we need Personal righteousness, well, absolutely. We spoke about that this morning. There is an, the idea of separation and, and right living. Um, but what we need most of all is a properly placed faith and trust in the finished work of the cross. It is that picture because without faith, the Bible would say it's, very, it's impossible to please God. Notice, notice verse 23, we see his dejection. He's, he's very sorrowful. Well, why is he sorrowful? Well, because he has no faith. He has no faith, and therefore he cannot make a commitment to trust God. All of the riches in the world, all of the, all of the wealth, all of the possessions, but no faith. No faith, nothing to, to lay his head on at night and say, I have placed my trust in Christ. I've placed my trust in God. I've committed myself to God. God will see me through. God will carry me through the temporal, and he has promised me eternity. God is all I need. And so if that is not the case, then his future is in his own hands. He's depending upon himself to get to where he wants to be but God only wants one thing he wants you to place all your faith and trust in him we spoke about this briefly in Sunday school this morning I'm confident uh, that you all have seen it uh, there's a meme a picture out there of a little girl holding a little tattered teddy bear. And there's an image of Christ kneeling in front of her. He's holding behind his back a brand new, great big teddy bear. And he's reaching for her teddy bear. And she says, but Lord, I love it. 
And he says, trust me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit dejecting that we've come to the place in America that we use teddy bears and memes to communicate that God has something better for you than what you already have. But it's true just the same. Uh, we are uh, so closed off. The tighter that we hold on to our lives and our possessions, the more impossible it becomes to grip God. The, the old thing about a closed hand cannot give or receive. We are so awash with fear and trepidation over the government and the Illuminati and, uh, uh, you know, whatever, uh, the economy. Look, God's not in that stuff. Uh, our faith and trust ought not be in that stuff. Our faith and trust ought to be in God. He's sovereign. Not one rises nor falls that he doesn't put them up. I want to share a very quick personal testimony and then we'll stop. I don't share this, by the way. I've shared this a couple of times. I shared it again a little bit in Sunday school this morning. It's in a project I'm working on. So it's just been kind of on the top of my mind lately. So it's not for anything other than just to, to tell you that God has something better for you. But when I came to the Lord, um, I possessed within me uh, anger and resentment towards the church and the people in it. I had watched... Uh, growing up, the way that I perceived my mother and father treated in church. And it bothered me. I mean, it, it, it made me who I was. It bothered me desperately. I had a real anger and resentment towards the church and, and therefore the people in it. Um, I had a, uh, a, a really rebellious... Um, attitude I, not not towards not towards authority but towards things in life that would have been a given for anybody else i mean i was taught to obey my elders and respect authority and to work and to to do those so i did those things but there was a rebellion there was it was a, a wickedness that, that resided within me that probably no one else saw. It is the greatest shock in the world to me. Every morning I wake up and realize that I'm a preacher. And I've been realizing that for 20 years. I know other people didn't see it because when I say to them that I'm a pastor, they say, well, that makes sense. 
but I know what was in my heart. Warped opinions of right and wrong, so carnal, so vindictive, so uh, get mine first, take care of me. Reclusive desires. I did, I did not care about people. I did not want to be around people. I love my wife, but I, I just did not care about other folks. It wasn't important to me. Um, greed. I wanted so badly, so badly. To be wealthy. And God, the God of this world honored that for a while. Pride of possessions. It drove me. I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be wanted people to, to, to stay away from me. I wanted to be known. Those were real opinions in my life. And I was not a, I was just a guy, but that was my, that was my heart. I worked every day, I had girlfriends, I, I had hobbies, I did things. Nobody would have known, but inside me it was dark, almost ravenous. I told them in Sunday school this morning, it's true, it's so embarrassing, sounds so childish. I kept a list. If you slighted me, I put your name on the list. Literally. And I would think to myself, one day, one day that person's going to need me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be there. Can I tell you what happened when I came to God? All of that, He took. He took every bit of it. And He said, Hey, uh, funny joke. Hey, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to have a heart for people. And you're going to desire to see other people walk with the Lord. It's going to drive you. It's going to, it's going to keep you up at night. You're going to care so much about other people and you've not ever cared about anybody but yourself. That was my exchange. My exchange was to give him all of that and get a heart, a heart of love and hope and desire. And you know, every once in a while, these things, they come back up because we just contend with the flesh and God is certainly not finished. But can I tell you what I believe started every bit of it? And this is the most, this is why I brought the sermon tonight. I hope you'll hear me right here. It was one single commitment. 
You know what the commitment was? So hard. It's so difficult. You probably can't do it. Maybe I'm special. You know what the commitment was? Every time the doors are open, Lord, I'll be in the church. I'll be there, no matter what, Lord. God, I know I'm rotten. I know I've disqualified myself. I know that you can't use me, but I don't care. I will be in the church every time the doors open, so I give my kids a fighting chance. It was one commitment. I couldn't say, Lord, I won't be angry at people anymore because I didn't know any other way to be. I couldn't say, Lord, I won't do this, that, or the other because those things were a part of my life. But I could say, Lord, you've saved me. I've placed all my faith and trust in you, and I will be in the house of God every time the doors are open. And God has worked in my life and in Carla's life. The one thing that God wants, this is exactly what Christ wanted from this young man. The one thing that he wants is commitment. I believe that with all of my heart. He wants commitment. Now, I don't know what your one thing is. There may be something else for you. But I would not risk losing the peace of God or worse yet, life eternal over one thing. It would be a bad trade. Would you stand with me tonight? We'll have no invitation, but as far as music goes, but we'll have a time of the altar being open for prayer. And, uh, you're welcome to come and pray tonight if you'd like to. Let's pray. Father, I pray you bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray you'd speak our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us. Help us, Lord, to be committed. The altar's open tonight. We'll just observe a moment of silence here, if you'd like.